Almost. 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 Major. 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 Holy fucking shit, this is major! Hello and welcome to another episode of Almost Major, where we talk about the many major studios and the films they release. Today we are talking about American Psycho from 2000. My name is Kevin Tudor. I'm here with Bryden Doyle. Hello. And Charlie Nash. Hello. And we have a super special guest, uh, filmmaker Kate Brazel is here. How are you? Hello. Thank you. I'm great. How are you? Uh, we're good. Um we just wanted to uh, give you a, a second to uh, plug any of your past or future projects that you're working on. Oh, boy. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, I'm currently writing something um, that I'm planning on shooting during Oklahoma's like dry spell. I also work cruise, so a lot of my time is spent doing that. But I've got a couple of months off, and I'm hoping to knock one out. Hell yeah. Not gonna nice. not gonna mention it right now in terms of working title because I know it'll probably mm-hmm. change five times. Um right. so yeah, I got that. And then um my partner John Shahan and I, um, he directed a movie a couple years back uh called Wait, just at the end of COVID, um 2020 crazy times. That is just about ready for release as well. Um and then yeah, I've done a number of short films and all kinds of little things over the years so yeah oh yeah oh yeah um and i we recently had somebody drop out and you are hosting the uh film film screening of american psycho this year or this month so it was uh, a perfect idea to have you on for this so thank you for dropping in really quick to give us a good guest yeah thank you thanks for having me yeah uh, like I said, we were talking about American Psycho from 2000. This opened on April 14th, 2000 at number seven in 1,236 theaters. Uh, budget of $7 million, open weekend of $4.9 million, domestic gross of $15 million, and overall gross of $34 million. Top five films this weekend, uh, but, 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 nope, I've only seen two, uh, is Rules of Engagement, 28 Days, Keeping the Faith, Aaron Brockovich, and The Road to El Dorado. Which are the two you've seen? Uh, Twenty-eight days and Aaron Brockovich. Yeah. Wait, Aaron. no. I, wait, no. I've I've seen Rodale Dorado, but like in class. So. Yeah, Twenty-eight days and Aaron Brockovich, both written by Susanna Grants, which is funny to think about. Right. Right. You know, I watched Twenty-eight Days in health class. Oddly enough, <laughs> it's about alcoholism. Huh? As they yeah. were just they were just like, this is health enough, I guess. Yeah. Pretty much. That's basically, yeah, all the logic that my teacher put into it. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a it's it's not bad. It's very uh, smarmy and whatnot, and very uh, overly dramatic. But I mean, uh, Sandra Bullock's really good in it. So doesn't, doesn't she like completely ruin a wedding at the beginning? She like drives oh, she, drunk. She, into... she drives a car into the house. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so That's yeah, <laughs> most of what I remember about that movie, I might have been asleep for chunks of it because I did not sleep in high school. So, <laughs> ah. what are what were some other health health class movies? Um, I don't remember many in health class. I did watch Mean Girls in my psychology class, which was weird. And then they were like. <laughs> you know it's through and you know like think about it through analyzing the clicks and stuff and i was like isn't that sociology like i don't think that's really psychology. i'm hung over watch a movie please yeah kind of <laughs> <laughs> uh uh rules of engagement that's the uh freaking movie yeah where um uh sam jackson has the line uh yeah i said it waste the motherfuckers or whatever uh, yes. like a war crime. Oh, i have not seen it but that's no. like the clip i've seen in like montages and stuff I and love then, Friedkin, but I, I've heard that's not one of his better uh, pieces of work. And then Keeping the Faith, that's the Ed Norton directed one, which I still haven't seen. As a motherless Brooklyn fan, I need to see that movie. Oh, yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. He did direct that. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, number one song in the U.S. this week is Maria Maria by Santana. And number one song in Canada this week is Never Let You Go by Third Eye Blind. Canada wow, like a boy. Yeah, yeah they kind of win. Uh, American Psycho follows a wealthy New York City investment banking executive, Patrick Bateman, who hides his alternative psychopathic ego from his co-workers and friends as he delves deeper into his violent hedonistic fantasies. 
That's maybe one of the best write-ups we've gotten from Google, but uh, directed and co-written by Mary Heron. Prior to this, I shot Andy Warhol in 1996. After this, the notorious Betty Page in 2005, Charlie Says in 2018. It's also co-written by Genevieve Turner, has co-written other scripts with Heron, Betty Page, uh, Charlie Says, and also wrote Blood Rain in 2005. Ooh, by uh, our almost a major alum, Uva Ball. <laughs> so I, I hate to be this person, but isn't is it's Guinevere Turner, right? Not Genevieve? I think it's... It, it, God damn it. I, I keep I, I keep going back and forth, even after I listen to her commentary. It's, it's Guinevere Turner. Guinevere. Yeah. Guinevere. Okay. Jenny Turns, that's her name. Uh, of course, mm-hmm. adapted from the book by Brett Easton Ellis, starring... Uh, Christian Bale as Patrick Bateman prior to this, Empire of the Sun in 1987, Little Women in 1994, and Velvet Goldmine in 1998, which I still need to watch. Uh, and after oh, it's this, so good. I know. And after this, uh, yeah, you know, uh, also featuring, there's really no like, I was like, who's like the, I think the second build person is Jared Leto, but I, I, that's like barely uh, second build. Bill Sage. Let's talk about him. No. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think it is Bill Sage. Um, so I was like, I don't know who to put the second one as. And I was like, oh, fuck, I'll just put all of them in. Also featuring uh, also featuring Justin Thoreau, uh, Josh Lucas, Chloe Seveny, Reese Witherspoon, Samantha Mathis, Jared Leto, and Willem Dafoe. So that's two Leto's because we also did Rick Ram, but it's also two Samantha Mathis because we did Jesus' Son. Uh, no, that's Samantha Morton. Samantha Mathis was the God wife damn it. Of, uh, the Punisher. <laughs> the She's Punisher. The that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I always I always get Samantha Morton and Samantha Mathis names mixed up. I know the different ones, but I always get the names mixed up. That's right. Oh, good. Yeah. Nothing really good has happened to her in either movie either. <laughs> I mean, no, no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she survives this one. We can't say yeah. the same as the Punisher. Uh, trivia. There's a just a fuck ton of trivia. Uh, American Psycho was previously going to be made by Stuart Gordon with Johnny Depp with uh, Brett Easton Ellis writing the script. Gordon wanted to, to do it in black and white and wanted the NC-17 rating. Um, and then it was also with David Cronenberg, who apparently wanted to take out all the violence and all the scenes in restaurants and wanted to star Brett Pitt. And finally, Oliver wow. Stone with Leo DiCaprio. Yeah, I don't understand how that works. Um, when Lionsgate oh. picked up the rights to American Psycho, Heron was set to direct and write. She considered Billy Crudup, who turned it down, Ben Chaplin, Robert Sean Leonard, Johnny Lee Miller, and Jared Leto. Eventually, she settled on Bill because he was the only actor who saw the silliness of the role and also... It's the only actor who didn't ask what bait, what made Bateman tick and what his childhood was like. Uh, the producers <laughs> tried to get Heron to instead pick Edward Norton, but she refused. She was allowed bail, but had to cast two other big name actors, which she got in Witherspoon and Willem Dafoe. When uh, Leonardo DiCaprio signed on, Heron left the project because she wanted to do her version with Christian Bale. Bale still held out hope. The Stone DiCaprio version would have had a script by Matt Markwalder. He's done nothing else. Uh, James Woods as Detective Kimball, Cameron Diaz as Evelyn, Elizabeth Berkeley as Courtney, and Seventy as Jean. When Leonardo DiCaprio was still attached to the project, feminist activist Gloria Steinem lobbied him not to make the movie as his fan base consisted predominantly of young teenage girls and he could ruin his career. Steinem had spoken out about the novel several times and was against the film version in any in, car, in any version. Her involvement is rendered especially interesting and as far as she would soon become Christian Bale's stepmother. Uh, Lionsgate hired Heron, Her- Mary Heron back and took the budget from $40 million to seventy to $7 million as DiCaprio was going to get $21 million to appear in the film. She decided to keep seventy Jesus. as Gene. I'm, I think every decision that was made is ultimately the right one. I would watch that version out of curiosity, though. I don't think it would work, but I'd no. be fascinated by it. <laughs> You're talking about the Stone version? Uh yeah i mean with I dicaprio yeah the caprio version oh god uh, the, you okay never mind because i don't me and oliver stone aren't really friends at this point in time uh but the casting does sound interesting i mean elizabeth berkeley in this movie would have been a trip yeah as courtney you said yes that would have yeah. worked too good Crudup yeah. would have been interesting casting too if in like the that i mean he's maybe of all the actors that you named as like potential ones like i don't know if robert trump Leonard would be very good no johnny johnny no. Lee miller not no, really into that. Uh, Johnny Depp, especially not. Oh, oh Jesus. No. Jeez, if Johnny true. Depp was in this movie, it would be unwatchable today. <laughs> like it would it would be so upsetting to watch. Yeah. yeah. Um 
That's interesting too that DiCaprio was considered. I didn't. I forgot about that. But like, I was thinking with like the scene where um Bale is like talking about like seven days. Like, what? Do you, where do you want to go? He's like holding a pen. I'm like thinking, and this is like a precursor to the sell me this pen scene in the uh, uh-huh. Street. I just uh-huh. I don't know. I, I know that's like a movie that's like years later, and I know that's a true story. But like, it's I don't know. That was just like a funny note. I thought I just sort of like the motivational speaker tone. Um, DiCaprio would have been like, there's already like almost all of the violence is taken out from the book and you think this movie is more violent than it actually is, but you don't really see as much. He would have asked for like even less because he wouldn't want to ruin his image. So it would have made sense. And he, I think the Gloria Steinem thing is just like, that's the real story. But the story they told is like, oh, he dropped out because he wanted to do the beach. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, he uh, is, I have not seen the beach, but I assume he is shirtless for most of it too. So that would probably you know and it was danny boyle right that's a Danny yes. Boyle movie, right? yes yeah. so we've all, we've all seen it yeah i actually um, would like to see that i've not seen i've heard it's not good but i'm a boyle fan so but like that brings in like that that's kind of the best of both worlds worlds for dicaprio in that like oh i can be wet and shirtless and be in a danny boyle movie <laughs> like i oh, mean perfect like that 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 fires on all cylinders for what i would like at this stage of my career <laughs> exactly yeah um looking for a way to create the character patrick bateman and christian bale stumbled upon a, a tom cruise appearance on letterman uh bale saw on cruise this very intense friendliness with nothing behind the eyes and he basically based his character on that and also the character <laughs> of nicholas cage and vampire's kiss which is ah. very similar <laughs> yes interestingly tom cruise is actually featured in the novel he li- he lives in the same apartment complex as bateman who meets him in an elevator <laughs> and he says like uh what does he say he's like oh i love your movie uh bartender and he's like it was it was actually it was called cocktail and he was like oh that's right it was and that's the only conversation they have it's really funny uh the single biggest cost of the film was purchasing the rights to the various songs used throughout which that's money well spent the film had various problems with designer labels during production uh some would allow christian bell to wear the clothes but not when he was killing somebody rolex agreed that anybody could wear anybody anybody in the film could wear their watches except patrick bateman hence the famous line from the book don't touch the rolex had to be changed to don't touch the watch and uh coma de garçon refused to allow one of their overnight bags to be used to carry a corpse so john paul gautier was used instead that's that's weird backstage stuff where it's just like you gotta you gotta send that to somebody to somebody to somebody else it'd be like how is our product going to be used oh yeah it's going to be used to uh, haul a uh corpse and they're just like yeah it's fine there um, was like a special thanks at the end of the movie i can't remember i wrote down the brand my handwriting is illegible but she says like it says special thank you to this company for the fine custom made clothing and it was like oh okay that's kind of funny that they were they, they were willing to have that but yeah mm-hmm. yeah a uh, vast majority of the dialogue in the movie is taken word for word from the novel uh, the differences in the novels and I will be annoying later and mention more differences in the novel versus the movie and I apologize in advance but uh, certain scenes either had to be completely removed or toned down for the film due to the graphic and extreme nature of the murders and torture scenes the monologue Bateman has when he calls his lawyer he is describing things that happen in the book but not in the movie so everything he describes is in the book but not not in the movie um, in the novel he uh, Bateman is way more misogynistic racist sexist homophobic and a xenophobic character these characteristics were overall heavily toned down in the film in order to make the character more tolerable and palatable even though some of these characteristics are still subtly presented uh we also meet his mother and his brother sean bateman from rules of attraction in the book while the film takes place over the course of uh, several months the novel takes place over the course of two years gene never finds bateman's journal of demented drawings in the in the book uh paul allen in the book is named paul owen and i listened to mary heron's her uh, 05 commentary and she said that quote unquote they made her change the name and never specified why so Huh. I, don't, I don't know why. Uh, Whitney Houston refused to allow any of her songs to be used in the film to get around that. The scene where he talks about Whitney Houston and Jenny Turner makes fun of him for owning a Whitney Houston CD. They play an orchestral cover of a song. Uh, Patrick suggests to Elizabeth to have sex with Christy, to which Elizabeth scoffs at the suggestion and asks him why he thinks she'd be into lesbianism. Patrick responds that she went to Sarah Lawrence College. In real life, Genevieve Turner, who portrays Elizabeth, is also one of the writers, went to Sarah Lawrence College and is a lesbian. So, and I think that's the entire reason she wanted to be in the movie. She was like, I have to, I have to be that. Um, she is secretly my favorite. I mean, she's only in the movie for like 10 minutes, but she's like possibly my favorite performance in this movie. I love love how much she's poking fun at herself in terms of that. And also just 
you know, considering that she's the co-writer, she's able to nail the satire so well in her line their deliveries of mm-hmm. you know everything the film is yeah yeah going for yeah. Uh, this was the second time in two years that Lionsgate found itself in trouble with the MPAA over one of their films. They had run afoul of the censors with Dogma, which we covered, uh, which was deemed to be blasphemous. It wasn't the violence the MPAA had an issue with. It was the overall tone plus the uh, threesome scene. And now for my favorite trivia fact, Christian Bale insisted on getting Brady Snellis' approval for his portrayal before filming and arranged a meeting. Bale showed up to the meeting dressed and groomed as Bateman and even introduced himself as Patrick Bateman. After 10 minutes, Brady Snellis begged Bale to stop because his hands were shaking and he could not take it anymore brady snell also said this was the single creepiest moment of his life (laughs) (laughs) oh wow he scared brady snellis and this was his own creation i know feels so karmic i love it (laughs) i know it's just like i'm meeting one of my characters and i fucking hate it please stop new card what do you think very nice Patrick, you're so sweet. Jean? Yes, Patrick? Would you like to accompany me to dinner? Sabrina, why don't you dance a little? Christy, get down on your knees. We're not through yet. That's a wonderful suit. You look so soft. I don't think I can control myself. If you stay, something bad will happen. I feel lethal, on the verge of frenzy. I think my mask of sanity is about to slip. Do you have any witnesses or fingerprints? Actually, yes. Hmm. I know my uh, behavior can be erratic sometimes. Hey, Paul! So, what do you do? I'm into, uh, well, murders and executions mostly. I have all the characteristics of a human being, but not a single clear identifiable emotion. I simply am not there. I, uh, I just had to kill a lot of people. Uh, Kate, as our guest, can you please hit us with initial thoughts? You've, of course, seen this before, but just tell us what you think about it. Yeah. Um, well, American Psycho, (laughs) I'll put it to you this way. See, when it came out, I was 10. Um, in 2000 and I remember Mm -hmm. like going to the grocery store and seeing it in little kiosks um, leading up to cash registers and I was terrified of the movie like it it seemed like you know that which shall not be seen you know yes and uh, so I didn't I didn't end up watching it until I was um, I was almost to college age when I finally put it on and the first time I watched it like it kind of hit me with this wave of like I knew that I had seen more than I expected. I expected it to be a horror movie, but it wasn't. Mm-hmm. It was much, much yeah. more like this deep um, dive into like the human psyche. And um, ever since then, you know, every every time I rewatch it, I almost pull out something new from it, which mm-hmm. I think is interesting. Um, but most recently, and this is probably for me just um, a testament to where uh, maybe we are as a society right now, but I kind of see it as a statement to the disconnection of, of humanity you know mm-hmm. feeling disconnected mm-hmm. and 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 having your um identities confused for each other is like you know i mean obviously the the red the elephant in the room would be social media but i also think that i think that it's a bit deeper than that now um mm-hmm. for, for us as a society so yeah that's kind of my main my main go-to at this point is just how um it is, it's, it's much more than just a, a film about a, a Wall Street yuppie in the 80s, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah, because the thing is, is the problem with satire that can always get wrong is that it's either all message or not funny, or it's funny with no message. And this mm-hmm. movie, with the book and the movie, is just 
pitch perfect. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think honestly, one of my favorite scenes in the film, um, which sounds dark and demented, is just when he's chasing um, the 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 girl down the stairs. And uh-huh. he's in nothing but tennis shoes with a chainsaw. It's just yeah. like the, for yes. me, just did, one of the funniest images. Did he have the tennis shoes on when he was killing Genevieve Turner in the bed? Yes. Or did he put them on afterwards? <laughs> no, I, I noticed that this time. He They were on when he's under the covers with Guinevere Turner. They that's, were already on. That's ridiculous. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that scene, Mary Heron and Genevieve Turner. Is it Guinevieve? Is it, I'm just going to say Jenny Turner. Guinevere Turner. Ginny T's. Um, both of them <laughs> said that that scene that was like where they were like making it the most horror movie because like you know mm-hmm. she's screaming and running around and you know all that because all the rest of it. Um, I mean the Jared Leto kill scene is pretty horrific, but you don't really see anything, and it's also as soon as he hits it with the axe, he says a lot about Dorcia, so it's really taking the piss out of that. But I mean, it's still it's still that scene is where yeah where it gets the balance right where it is horrifying where she's running from him but he has a chainsaw with tennis shoes on with nothing else on and mary heron said that she was like i want to do the scene where the woman has the clothes on but the guy doesn't and flip that on its head um so yeah yeah it's it's a great scene and they were all what sorry go ahead Oh, I was also going to say there was an episode I listened to uh, at least a little bit of uh, where Guinevere Turner was on Switchblade Sisters. And it was like when you talk about genre, mainly horror films, um, she picked American Werewolf in London. um, Mm -hmm. But Guinevere Turner did talk a little bit about American Psycho. And she said, yeah, you'd expect because I wrote American Psycho and I starred in it that I love horror movies. And she's like, no, I'm still a Frady cat. Like I watched myself being murdered in that movie and I still get scared watching it, even though Mm -hmm. it was like, you know, physically present, in, obviously through the whole thing, which I think is really interesting too. When you that you know, both her and Mary Heron had to go to, to some dark places that even scared themselves too. Mm-hmm. Oh, that reminds me in our previous episode talking about Sherry Moon Zombie not liking horror movies and can't even watch yes. the scenes she's in and Devil's Rejects. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Charlie, initial thoughts. So yeah, I've seen this movie many, many times. Um, I. It was around 2006, I believe, I first saw it because, yeah, um, like you, Kate, I was born in 91. So when I this movie came out, I was nine and I didn't want to have anything to do with it. And then, you know, I was in high school. I remember I was starting to get into edgier stuff, like much edgier horror movies. Saw and Hostel were coming out and stuff like that. And I remember I blindly bought, like, um, for those who don't live in New England, I blindly bought the $8 dvd of the uncut version from newberry comics which is like you know a big media store and i just hell yeah came back home from the mall and i dropped i would like i have to use the bathroom and i dropped my bag on the table and from the bathroom i can hear my dad go oh my god (laughs) (laughs) and i come out and he's like he's holding it and he goes have you seen this i'm like no and he's like i have and i'm like you and mom watch this movie and i'm like (laughs) And I'm just like, oh, God, like back in 2000, my parents probably tucked me into bed and were just like, okay, good night on. We're going to go watch American Psycho. Um, I really loved it ever since I was a teenager. And it's funny. I was one of the first times, uh, like you, Kate, I expected just a horror movie. But there were, even though my parents didn't say, take this back or anything like that, like I was watching it and it was one of the few times where I was like, I don't feel like I should be watching this. Even though my parents are like, oh, have at it. Like there was just, it was so, it, it, it's it's such a meat, weird metaphor to bring up, but it's, it's so meaty and so rich with commentaries on consumerism and fitting in and it, misogyny and all this stuff. And I didn't fully, I loved it when I was a teenager, but I was just expecting something really edgy. And what I, I don't think I fully understood all of the social commentaries it was going for. And it was interesting to me. I can't help but think about this. And I know uh, we'll probably get into this a little bit, but I was very much in the closet in high school. So I think there were certain aspects of it to me that kind of hit me in ways I didn't expect it to subconsciously. Like the whole scene at the beginning where 
Reese Witherspoon and him are in the back of a car and she's just like, why, why are you doing X, Y, and Z? And he's like, because I want to fit in. And like, and I kind of didn't realize it in high school, but I was like, I was kind of doing the same thing even as a teenager. I was, you know, like, you know, listening to bands people thought were cool and like, what, what can I do to make myself normal and stuff like that? And like, obviously I wasn't fucking murdering people, but I do think that like it hit a nerve in certain ways I didn't fully understand yet mm-hmm. as a 15 year old. And I will say watching it again now, I haven't seen it in a very long time. I still love it. It's deeply, it's funnier, even funnier than I remember certain things I just went over my head as a teenager. And it's also scarier in that I agree with both of you, Kevin and uh, Kate, that like, it's not just about someone who works in the uh for wall street in the 1980s like i i was watching this and i was thinking oh my god i haven't seen this just since donald trump became president like <laughs> like like and i really i had that moment where i'm like oh my god this movie really was like putting its finger on the pulse of like white men white rich new york men <laughs> and like in certain ways where i was just like oh my god like and and i was talking to some friends at work saying i rewatched it and they were like, it's it's fascinating that this movie became such a cultural touchstone. And it almost feels like now it's over 20 years old. It almost felt like a warning, like in, in certain ways. Yep. And it became just even funnier and even more disturbing to me. And the other thing I will say is I completely forgot that Patrick Bateman's 27 and I'm watching this when I'm 31. And just that thought of like, first time watching it being like I shouldn't be seeing this right now this is way too much for me and now me just being like oh my god I'm so fucked up. Like, look at this kid yeah, look at this this little scrapper <laughs> yeah like oh my god so time flies yeah mm-hmm. so we'll obviously go into details about a lot of other things but that's kind of where my view my viewing from a few days ago has led me to now that it's always been a movie I've loved Oddly enough, it has, my love for it has evolved and grown for different reasons as time has gone on. So. Yeah. Um, I know this was definitely a one that my brother rented and I probably watched around that time. So probably like 10 or 11-ish. So like 03 maybe, or maybe 04. I can't, I can't be sure. But it was the same thing with Rules of Attraction. It was definitely big brother renting movies and me being like i should be able to watch this because i want to be an adult but so i probably watched it around (laughs) there and yeah pretty much everything was probably uh, lost on me and uh but it's definitely a movie that throughout the years has just gotten better and better and better and more funnier and everything like that um like i was i was telling y'all in the group chat where it's just like the scene where it's uh justin Theroux and and bale doing doing coke in the bathroom and it's like this is sweet and low it's like if we do enough of it we'll be fine and then the guy in the next door goes can you keep it down i'm trying to do drugs (laughs) i always forgot about that line and it made me laugh so much this time but this time was very interesting because i had never read the book or listened to the audiobook so i listened to the audiobook and then i watched the movie and it was like it was like half i still love the movie and the other half the entire time i couldn't just sit and watch the movie because the entire time i'm comparing it to the book so but it's it's really amazing what they pulled off because it doesn't it everything it takes out it's completely fine and they justify it and everything that it puts in which is honestly not that much like um it it mostly just is just decreasing it and put it in it in a very different way because there's a lot of stuff that takes from the book but reuses it in a different way like the scene where he has the nail gun at a uh, Chloe 70 that doesn't happen in the book but it does happen to his ex-girlfriend who he's talking to who he eventually kills which he talks about in the monologue so it's just like because they were both talking about in the commentary where it's just like people think when you adapt a book all you do is just put it in script form and whatnot and this one is so much way more than that because like I said it's two years in the book and it's about a you know, it, I think it's like three four hundred pages so it's it's a lot to condensed down and nothing really gets lost the only thing is it kind of the book is also like very intentionally boring like the first three hours no murder or anything is mentioned and it's just them talking at a restaurant and every single person you know exactly what they wear and what brand name and it goes like that for like three hours but then as soon as the first mention of murder happens then all of those scenes where it's just monotonous talking about everything and whatnot it starts to get like suspenseful so 
So it has that. So this this watch was very, very interesting to me because it's just comparing it to the book and whatnot. And and it's I don't I really don't think there's anything the movie does that is not as good as the book, but it's just very, very, very different. But uh it it's it's an incredible movie. I love it so much. It's one of my favorite comedies i guess it's much more of a comedy than it is a horror movie so but very funny yeah um it it, it, i mean yeah it's just it's just incredible i i I love it a lot um but charlie what you were saying about donald trump is the funny thing is in the book he mentions donald trump like 40 times and he's obsessed with him so and then in the movie there's the restaurant yeah go sorry charlie we were both thinking the same thing yeah is that ivana trump yeah and then they also I don't know like how long I don't know exactly when Trump got together with uh, his current wife and anything, but they do talk about how they. I think Reese Witherspoon says like we have plans. We're gonna go have dinner with uh, someone named Melania or whatever. And it's like thinking like oh, <laughs> like, obviously Maybe, like, yeah. like before before that and everything. But it's like I was just I just I'm like that's kind of a funny coincidence. It was like that being there, but anyways. Because yeah. there's a funny scene where they're at a restaurant and they're just like, why don't we just get the pizza or whatever? And he's like, the pizza here is terrible, and he like gets this huge huff about it, and then somebody eventually like a few chapters later was like why don't we go to that place and have the pizza he's like i told you it's terrible and he's like well i read in the whatever that donald trump loves the pizza and he was like you know what maybe it was just a really bad batch and maybe we should go back <laughs> but yeah love this movie Bryden. what are your initial thoughts yeah um i had not seen this since i was in high school this was also a movie i watched around the time when i was starting to like be able to watch more i mean i i have like my old movie logs here where like i watched it around the time i saw stuff like Boiler Room and Knockaround Guys. <laughs> it's like just like yes. watch, watching R-rated movies. Um, uh-huh. yeah. But um, yeah, I I really liked it. Um, it's it, it's it's funny how like this movie is like very weirdly popular. Like with people, like, even like non cinephiles, like my brother who like loves this movie and has seen it multiple times. Um, it's uh, I mean, yeah, it's like just a really well paced movie. Like it's like it, like it it's only like maybe ninety five minutes like before credits or anything, and it moves like through all its like comedy beats and horror beats like really fleetly. Um, and it's funny like Heron is like it's funny how like the visuals in the movie will change like depending on the tone or anything. Like you know you get those like there's like scenes where like you do feel like you're watching like a very serious horror movie i mean i think it's really interesting how like she will like differentiate between the tones and like the violent scenes i mean the jared leto murder scene like yeah i think that's very much keyed up where it's like yeah he's screaming about like restaurant reservations that's like his motive for murder it's like it's very silly whereas like i think the scene where like he's like killing kerosene more and like when a point of your turner it's like it's very it's i feel like i mean yeah you there is like the very heightened detail of like him wearing sneakers and running around with a chainsaw but i i don't know like the way it just like zooms in on her body with like the, the chainsaw stuck in and like there's no music it's just like mm-hmm. leaving you in that unpleasantness of the moment i think like i don't know if like the, it, it's it's interesting i think that there's like that scene's played much more seriously because like it is like i, I feel like if you go if you think about like stuff that happens in the world it's like you're not people are not getting killed over re- restaurant reservations necessarily every every day and you know, like silly stuff like that or business cards and stuff but like whereas like the misogyny like that motivates his murders it's like that manifestation is like much I guess like, a little bit more possible. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, but like, but then like, you know, in the scenes when like, you know, walking on sunshine plays and everything, like the helicopter shots of like all the skyscrapers and like the low angle zooms, it's like, I feel like you could be, you could easily like watch that scene and, like for a few seconds think like, oh, am I watching like an 80s like comedy, like working girl or something where it's like, you know, a person like work at the office or whatever, but then like, yeah. Um, and all the performances are just like perfectly pitched to the material i mean i think it's and it's interesting how like bail and everyone else like just like talks like in like these monotones and everything but then you have like the performers like you know chloe sevigny and kara seymour where like them acting like real people with like tangible emotions like that like mm-hmm. throws it, everything off and everything where it's like oh like this like a, like lends a bit of like tension to it and everything like it's it, it's it's like it, it lends you a bit of like an outsider perspective and everything. They're almost like kind of audience circus, like what what the fuck is the deal with the, these people I'm talking to and everything? And like, mm-hmm. you know, it's um yeah. And um like the twist and I mean the the twist. I mean I've 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 had conversations with people where it's like, oh, like what like what is it? Like, did he actually commit all these murders? And I think the movie, what's good about the movie, and we talked about movies before, like, you know, high tension where it's like when you throw in a twist where it's like, oh, what's actually happening? It's like don't mention high tension. Fuck, Get out of here. Stupid. But <laughs> yeah. like, no, but like America's like a, what what was so effective, I think, about the movie is like a comment on privilege. It's like it's whether or not he's committing these murders, and like maybe some of them are are I think some of them definitely are real. And like, you know, or like maybe he's not guilty of everything. Maybe he's but he's definitely guilty of something. It's like, whether he did it or not, it's like the, the comment still like, you know, 
commentary so like cuts through where it's like this guy has the privilege like you know being a white cis you know hetero male and everything with like all this money and everything like he's you can get away with it like it doesn't matter it doesn't matter and like everyone mm-hmm. and you know whether or not he's caught there will be like someone else like who like is mistaken for him with like who's also looks i mean like the fact that like everyone is mistaking each other for like who they are it's like oh is that is that Palmer? like everyone thinks he's like marcus or whatever when he's actually patrick bateman and everything it's like you know these guys the, all these guys are all like and they're all going to get away with it and if one of them goes then there'll be like another person like to come along and replace them it's so yeah it, i think it really is like very incisive like the commentary um yeah and but it's also just like a really well-paced and sharply directed movie and it's very funny um yeah, lots of lots of quotable lines that I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, yeah, um, I just want to. I just kind of had like a <laughs> like a light bulb moment, which I. It's interesting that we were talking. I was talking about this with friends yesterday, and I don't know why. Just didn't know the Leonardo DiCaprio was almost going to get cast. I didn't know about that fact because the because uh-huh. one of the only other movies I could think of, and it's a much more mainstream movie, but just as uh, filthy and vulgar is that that compares to this in my opinion in terms of its cultural impact is wolf of wall street to me Mm -hmm. where wolf of wall street he's basically playing a similar character except instead of murder it's violence and basically every other form Mm -hmm. uh uh, you know and it is funny to me that like leo just thinking about this now that leo's like that'll tank your career you're a pretty boy but in 2013 when you've had a reputation of working with martin scorsese for like how many films you can basically do the exact same thing without and it basically comments on almost everything and i think wolf of wall street is equally brilliant i love that Mm -hmm. movie too but it's also a film that i think is interesting in that this film well i think the main difference is that this film is written and directed by women about men and martin scorsese is fully uh putting you your feet to the fire in terms of the horrors of men in a similar way but it is interesting to me that both films are huge cultural touchstones, both very much on Twitter as memes and whatnot, and are very much controversial. And at least to this day, in my opinion, are completely misunderstood by mm-hmm. awful men at the same time. Yep. Like, like some people view this movie and Wolf of Wall Street in ways that are not that, that like you how do you not see this as a biting critique of everything that these characters uh, every, every action these characters take but and 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 th- there is something about that that i do find to be because i think there is the one side of the argument of isn't this dangerous to make this type of movie and it's like well yes but there will always be stupid people in the world and i do think <laughs> both movies serve as very important indictments of this type of toxic masculinity and misogyny and uh yeah so i i just wanted to say that i'm sorry if i'm bringing us down a new road but when you brought up that oh. leah was initially going to play patrick Bateman, i had no idea so i just find uh-huh. that an interesting little connection there yeah, yeah. Uh, also going off that point uh charlie i definitely went to high school with people who are like wolf of wall street i'm gonna be like belford and everything like you're like Ugh. i want to be like that guy and everything it's like I don't think that's. Are you sure about that? Yeah. Like, I don't know if that's a guy. Did you go to high school with people who went and said, "I want to be like Patrick Bateman"? That's my lifestyle yeah. goal. Did also you actually, adapted. Uh, oh, sorry, sorry, Brandon. Did you go to? Did you go to school? Did you know well, people who are like Patrick Bateman? That's. that's I went that's to bad. when in high school. I mean, Wolf of Wall Street came out when I was in college, but for me, I think the other film that was kind of like this, where it was just like you've got to see this. It's so fucked up between like you know, bros and stuff like that was Clockwork Orange, which is another yeah. one of those, you know, he's a horrible, horrible person. And people were, you know, I was drawn to them because I was just like, whoa, I have to see what this is all about. But yeah, people watched that shit for the wrong reasons and took the wrong message away when it's so clearly a social commentary against this type of behavior and that how society forms this type of uh, you know, it, 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 and, and it's 2022 and like things are just scary as ever. So like, I think that it is important that we wa- watch certain things like this. Um, but yeah, and and Wolf of Wall Street, I was in college. So like I luckily was everyone I was friends with at the time knew how like disgusting that movie is. I think that movie is hysterical, but I think that Martin Scorsese is basically shaking his head behind the camera the entire time, even if he is cracking uh-huh. up. 100%. Yeah. Um, but it is one of those things where 
I can totally understand if you go see something like American Psycho or Wolf of Wall Street in a theater and you have the wrong kind of audience, it can be just, just sickening. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I think I think a lot of that has to do with how it's marketed at the time, you know, yeah. because mm-hmm. uh, when when uh, American Psycho came out, at least from my memory of being 10, when the trailer was, you know, popping around everywhere, it, it was marketed as a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I, I don't exactly know how A Clockwork Orange was marketed, but I do know that both of those films are very satirical and they are meant to be taken um, with a grain of salt and they're meant to be laughed at and thought about and thought provoking. And I think mm-hmm. that the interesting thing about like comedy specifically um, is that it it's able to shed light on topics that are sometimes tough to speak about in um in a, uh, a serious manner mm-hmm. and, um, and allow people to have uh, conversation and discourse about them afterwards, um, which is why, you know, in today's cancel culture um, driven society, it, it is kind of scary that we are seeing um, uh, a need to want to shut down the commentators, to shut down the comedy, to, um, um, to uh, police art because when when you start policing art that's whenever you know how 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 free is a society under mm-hmm. those circumstances so yeah so um comedy being being the main thing here satire really being the main the main thread that that drives all of those through um it's a really good way to shed light on society and what you're you know mm-hmm. as as you said it's um it's one of those things where every time you watch it you kind of see something different which is mm-hmm. which is me is every time i watch it mm-hmm. i'm like ah there's mm-hmm. something new. So what you're saying is that Patrick Bateman would get canceled, or I don't know if he would, but well, but no, what I mean is like at the time, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm just yeah. kidding. I'm just kidding. I see what you're saying, but like mm-hmm. at, at the time when when those films came out, I, they're kind of like sleeper films, right? Because mm-hmm. if you they each of them had um, a bunch of protests leading up to and during their time in in theaters you know mm-hmm. where people were angry that they existed in the first place but now they look back on them and say oh i see the importance of that piece of art mm-hmm. um, yeah they're also based on books by uh what i i would consider terrible people i mean because wolf of wall street jordan belfort you know i haven't read the book i can only imagine you what can that assume i can assume uh freddie Sinellis based on i read I guess I should have mentioned this. I read Less Than Zero in college and I really liked it at the time. I have not seen the movie. This is before. Movie's bad. I'm halfway through the book though. Yeah, it's, the book's pretty good. I, I liked the book um, probably because I was in college and was like, I go to school with some of these people. But uh, <laughs> um, but um, I do find it to be interesting that, and yeah, I know you've, you're the one who's read the book out of us four, Kevin. I just remember it feels wrong of me to comment on it, but I know that the book was heavily criticized of like being misogynistic without enough of the self-awareness of it. And I'm curious what you're yeah, um, knowing what we know now about Brady Sinellis, it's like, it, it makes wanting to dive into the book much more difficult for me, especially considering I'm a, such a slow reader and want to read so many books, but mm-hmm. uh, I've just, I've heard that's what, the criticism uh, towards the source material is is that Mary Heron and Guinevere Turner kind of twisted um, those elements into something much more palatable and satirical and all of the violence is on off screen for the most part it's all mm-hmm. aftermath whereas I've heard the book is much more graphic and much yes. more arguably yes. exploitative yes. I mean I, and again I haven't read it so I, I, I shouldn't maybe it's wrong of me to not even comment on it but I'm just curious what your take is on that in terms of no, no you can comment on it because I mean that is the main thing about it is just how gruesome the violence is in it which it's it feels like a lot more because I it's like probably five to ten percent of the book but it feels like a lot more because the details and it's just so exhausting every every time it pops up and yes it is primarily towards women like of course there's paul owen slash paul allen and the homeless guy and whatnot and but then it's just like and then other people he kills a guy because he happens to be gay he kills somebody because like so like it's so much harder to be like oh this is an interesting character to follow around in the book in the movie it's a lot you know more amped up and whatnot the book is very very hard to get into once once the violence starts happening because and 
the interesting thing with the book and the movie as far as the women are portrayed in the book Chrissy has like no lines whatsoever and she really doesn't in the movie either but the way that she's shown her eyes she knows this guy's full of shit when the other woman comes in and she's and they're just like and he's like do you want to know what I do and they're just like no no like, yeah, yeah it's, not just really. like, it's just like they <laughs> they still they still take the book and they don't like give them extra lines or anything like that but there's just so many shots of just the women reacting to him and stuff like that that is not in the book because they don't have any it's all from patrick bateman's point of view and there's no ex mm -hmm. extra lines or anything like that so yes it is a very very tough book and it's if you i i, I it if you want to call it misogyny it definitely it definitely feels like it when you read it and when when Guinevere Turner met him for the first time he's just like I can't believe you wrote such a misogynistic book and he was like I thought it was really feminist so it's it's all in the eye of the beholder and it's it's very excessive but also the entire book is excessive but there's there's a there's like one or two scenes in the book where I was just like mouth open because like it was like halfway through it where whenever he kills his ex-girlfriend where i was just like i mean this isn't that explicit honestly and then that happened and i was like oh i can see why people try to ban this fucking book mm -hmm. so it's it's if you can handle it it is a very 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 interesting book that that um goes well with the movie i wouldn't call one better than the other um they both work in tandem and they're both a lot uh the book has stayed with me a lot so there's that there's definitely a difference i think between like investing just the time investment i guess of reading a book that's like you know what like 500 pages versus watching a movie that's like you know an hour 40 or whatever it's like it's much easier it's much more it's it's a much easier sell for someone like me yeah. it's like so i have to be in this unpleasant headspace with this guy for like an hour yep. 40 versus like seven hours of my life yeah I'll, I'll take the movie um, yeah yeah it's it's rough but it it kills it you know it deals with the emotions especially like at the end of the movie where he just wants nothing more than to get caught because that would make him different you know mm -hmm. he would be known as a murderer and not just a nameless guy at pierce and pierce and stuff like that and he can't even get arrested and it's like you get much more into that mentality of just how pointless he feels his life is and he can't even to the point where it's so pointless where it's just like maybe if i killed somebody i'd feel something and then at the end of it he's like this I, I get nothing from this either and now i can't even get arrested for it so what at the point is what the fuck is the point of my life so which you know is very hard once you get to the end of that where you're just like oh why should i care about this person but it's just so fascinating the way that he writes which brady snellis is very hit or miss with a lot of people i feel like i should have read these books like 15 years ago i feel like as a white male i should have you know had my bread easton moment already but now i am but it, it's it's been very very enlightening the type of stuff because i also or listened to rules of attraction which i liked a, li a lot less but i liked the movie a little bit more mm. but it's 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 very interesting the way he writes is very unique so if, if you can handle it definitely check it out you had your Chuck Palahniuk phase, though, right? Oh, of course. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so you did something right <laughs> yeah. in high school. <laughs> and it's fascinating to, or sorry, Charlie, I didn't want to. Oh no, no, no. That's all. Yeah. That's all. Like I, because I, you mentioned I should have read these books 15 years ago, but in our private chat, you were like, "Why haven't I read these?" I had my Chuck Palahniuk phase, and I was like, "I've only read one." I had my Chuck Palahniuk phase. I mean, you know, oh, yeah. I definitely read Fight Club in fifth grade. I don't know why, but yeah, I loved it. Yeah, <laughs> kicked <Holy> ass. <laughs> um kate were you about to say something uh yeah well i was i was um just gonna make mention that i'm pretty sure that brett easton ellis has said that um rules of attraction is his favorite adaptation of a book that he's yes written. yes so it's interesting that you, you <sighs> prefer the movie to the book i wonder it's, if he feels the same <laughs> right i and we'll get into that in the episode but yeah it's it's a lot of those characters are so uh uh knowingly nothing like they're not characters mm -hmm. like they have mm -hmm. no arc or anything like that listening to it is a lot harder to get invested to than when i'm watching uh the dawson and uh shannon saucerman acted out and whatnot and also just the the flourishes of the movie that are that are there that make it a lot more uh interesting to me than the book because the book is literally just this this chapter is from sean's point of view this chapter is shannon's point of view or uh lauren's point of view and stuff like that but yeah um, sorry uh i didn't want to i no, 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 go ahead jumping over people um uh it was um it, it's it's been interesting having not read any of 
read any of Ellis's books, but like having seen like adaptations of his work or like stuff that he's even like he's gotten into screenwriting in the last decade or so. Um, it's interesting to see like the different like tonal and stylistic takes that people have taken on his material, like and like that's like kind of like thrilling uh -huh. to sort of find that like you know to sort of like where like you could get a consistent worldview but just like different tones and anything like lesson zero i mean i mean i talked about this a bit in the, our little group chat but like you know lesson zero i mean that's what part of why alice i think like doesn't like it is like how it's like it places so, so sincerely it places like, mm -hmm. this very earnest tragedy where it's like this guy trying to save his friend and everything and then you know it sounds like alice like he wrote a sequel to, to that called imperial bedrooms and, it's, and just reading the stops it's just like it's like oh you thought there was humanity to these characters fuck you i'm gonna double down on like i'm just doing the most depraved shit ever mm -hmm. um uh, and I don't think that movie entirely works, even though Robert Downey no. is very good in it. Uh, Andrew McCarthy sucks in it. Um, Andrew then, McCarthy sucks in most things, let's be honest. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then American Psycho, you know, it's like playing it up like as like this like very like grisly, but like very darkly humorous like thing. And then Rules of Attraction, I feel like kind of tries to split the difference between being sincere uh. in some moments and then like kind of ironic in this very darkly humorous way. And it doesn't always like thread that needle so well. And then like he wrote a movie in the last like a couple years ago only uh called smiley face killers which is about like a, a college kid who's like very handsome and doesn't really have a whole lot going on and like he's like sort of he thinks he's being like stalked by someone but like everyone else is just caught up in their own bullshit to like really to not really notice and everything and it, it, it plays it up as like this paranoid horror but like still has like this very you know very much the milieu of like rich spoiled self-absorbed people who are just like kind of caught up with their own shit and everything and like ignoring like the horrible stuff that like is like lingering underneath the surface and it does it in a so it's really interesting to see sort of find all like the pet themes even if like i don't like all the portrayal all these adaptations necessarily as like just as films and everything not even looking at this like a, as an ellis fan um because you know i haven't read his books and everything it's just interesting to see like what different stuff you can put on that how i don't know the diversity of like of, of representations mm -hmm. uh tonally and stylistically is cool um, right. so, oh sorry brandon no it's 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 all good um yeah, and it's interesting too, like, you know, we're talking about like, you know, scaling some of the stuff down, like the racism and xenophobia of of the uh, of the Bateman character. It's like, but like, yeah, you totally get the idea in the movie and like how it, it, it honestly seems more true to real life that like, you know, Bateman is like saying stuff like, hey, cool with the anti-Semitic remarks to talk about like how we need to solve apartheid. He's like talking about that in like public restaurants and everything. But then like when he's in like his own like private boys club where he's like smoking cigars with his buddies, he's like saying like, oh, you know, there's no such thing as a woman with a great personality. Ah, ah, ah. Like they're just like laughing about this like stupid misogynistic shit and everything. It's like when, you know, it totally like makes sense that like this is a guy who would like, you know, he presents himself as very outwardly progressive, but then like just has like all this like horrible hate like inside of him and he only yeah. expresses in like the most private spaces. And the movie too, like, I, it, there's like only a couple of scenes I think where he's out in the the real world and everything like standing on I think like you see him standing on a sidewalk when he's going into the club that plays like New Order or whatever but like most of the time it's just like keeping you stuck inside like these giant office buildings and these sterile apartments and it's like uh -huh. it really does like kind of blend this claustrophobia where you are just like not just stuck in this guy's mental headspace but also his environment it's just like so fucking unpleasant to be in but really effective I think I um, also completely forgot because I haven't seen this movie in so long that like he does start off with the cool it with the anti-Semitic remarks, but then before you've even seen him kill somebody, he goes to the dry cleaners and he's like, get these stains out. And it's clearly blood. And uh -huh. the people running the dry cleaners are Asian. And he the English is clearly not they clearly don't speak fluent English. And he's just screaming at them. And then he basically says, I'm gonna fucking kill you. And then that they understand and they're like, Oh my God. And then it is actually pretty funny when someone recognizes him and they're like, Oh, what's the matter? These are like hey good to see you these are the best dry cleaners in town yeah well they can't get this out and they're like she's like uh what's that <laughs> it's a cran apple yeah really <laughs> yeah, yeah. With their bug eyes. and then i also forgot that the homeless person that he completely berates and kills is also black like, yeah, I, like reggie kathy the the character actor uh, yeah from, yeah so i completely forgot that he is absolutely horrible to any person of color it comes across in this movie mm -hmm. yeah. the interesting thing in the book is that every time they go outside uh, uh ellis writes that there's a homeless person and they describe the homeless person every single time they're outside so it's like they are always in almost every single scene if they go outside they mention homeless people so it's like even more it's just like all the excess and whatnot and then it just describes it as a homeless person outside meanwhile he'll describe paul owen as having a rolex and this type of shirt and all of this i mean but really nails down that and yes that that homeless person kill in the book is is a uh as you can assume is a, is a lot worse but uh yeah 
Um, I don't really need to go through the plot of it all, but if we could do favorite scenes, which for me, it, it, you can't get any better than Huey Lewis in the news and killing uh, 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 Jared Leto. That's just one of the greatest needle drops of all time. And also, of course, the whole thing of is that song is it it's the movie. So it's just it's a g- genius needle drop. And I also love after he kills him and takes it off. There's like a minute of just him not talking and just smoking a cigar and just being with the dead body. Meanwhile, after that, it's just so haphazardly done and he doesn't get to quote unquote enjoy it. Um, but yeah, that 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 scene is just pitch perfect Brighton. Yeah. And, and it's funny too with like you know him like you know trying to fit in and everything but then like you know it seems like him trying to like give all these music monologues and everything will be like that's like him trying to strike out his individuality and then it, he can't even have that when Willem Dafoe nope. turns out to be a Huey Lewis and the, the news fan he's like oh I don't like Huey Lewis <laughs> I don't like I don't singers, like singers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sounds yeah. Too, well, and then that which that's not in the book but he says he sounds too black yeah, so, there's that. yeah that's a that's a rough line but then yeah. like yeah, it's like he's one he can't have like that individual like taste and everything but then also he's not even true to his own individual taste because he's like talking about like oh it's like so beautiful like listening about like you know monogamy and stuff like that but then like it will be like a hard cut to like him having like just like this very like rough looking sex or anything <laughs> it's like it's just mm-hmm. like oh this guy's completely full of shit like he can't mm-hmm. even be true to his himself in his own way um yeah it's oh yeah um but yeah like that that is either my favorite scene or mm-hmm. I mean, I guess it would be the business card scene, but I feel like that's no fuck that. I'll say I'll say the Paul Allen scene, but I'll say my favorite line is the murder murders and executions being being mistaken for mergers and acquisitions. That's just brilliant. Yeah, um, I think every time he gets insulted to his face, like saying like Bateman is such a dork, and he just like winces, like trying not uh-huh. to react. It's so funny. Um, but yeah, like the little like swish noises when they open the business cars and like the, the ambient music rising up, just like the way they play it up as if it's like a legitimate horror movie moment. It's like, it's like the incongruity of that is so funny, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, Kate, do you have a favorite scene? Yeah, well, I mean, you, you guys have, have mentioned a bunch of spectacular scenes. Um, I, I think honestly... <laughs> One of one of my favorite, and this one would probably be when he like after he goes on his murder spree and he's hiding from the helicopter and he calls his lawyer to confess mm-hmm. and yeah, he's just okay. like losing his mind and you know I and that that's like my favorite quote that that he has is I've killed a lot of people but it's just the way I, he delivers it. I think I remember that from the trailer. Yeah. I feel yeah. I feel like that stayed with me until I watched the movie. But yeah, it's. Uh, it's it's just so good and then the scene after that where they're watching reagan and just like dressing him down and whatnot but then the, you're doing exactly what reagan's talking about but whatever and just how many times he keeps stopping his lawyer to be like no please listen no please like five times yes. to the point where he's just like this isn't funny and i also don't know who you are and i also had dinner with paul allen what are you talking about and it's just like you can't you can't win and then of course the shot with when it's going to his head and the sign says this is not an exit and that's the last line of the book is mm-hmm. it's just so good he he's he's perpetually it's just like you can't it's just like it's the movie's not wanting to make you feel bad for him because he already feels way worse than you would ever feel bad for him so that's that's what i like about it it's it's very with easton's books that i've read so far it's very very complicated all of his characters and i would much rather that than somebody that i can label one way or the other so Mm-hmm. yeah for sure um yeah and this is like one of bale's best performances i mean like it's oh it's, it's really best. oh it's, it's so good i mean like just i mean yeah the way he like just like talks about like i mean like just like the movements where he is like a motivational oh. speaker and everything when he's like okay. you know like pointing at people like when he's like talking and everything it's like so rigid and robotic and everything like he's trying to like he tries to make everything look so relaxed but like when he's just, he's just crossing his legs it looks like you're just trying so hard for like the simplest thing and um he's trying to fit in yes <laughs> yes it's oh, it's so perfect yeah. yeah yeah i i really i i guess i'm getting off of the favorite scene thing well can uh but because we were talking about christian bale now i really have had a hard time with christian bale over the past few years most people have yeah (laughs) like i feel like he's taken acting as like the ways in which he's like i'm acting with my weight i find to be very 
kind of troubling. Like, right. I know this is a very snide joke, but I feel like I've had an eating disorder with Christian Bale for the like in the <laughs> checkout aisle of every grocery store for the uh-huh. past 10 years where it's like, look how much weight he gained to play Dick Cheney. It's like, all right, that's not acting. That's just, you know, that's just weight gain. Um, but like <laughs> you mentioned movies that he was in, like he was really killing it. I mean, I hadn't seen Empire of the Sun until like a couple of years ago. He's an incredible in that film. And uh-huh. kid. Um, he's great in Velvet Goldmine. I think he's a wonderful Laurie in Little Women. This, I think it's so brave of him. And even though he's doing all the Christian Bale stuff that usually annoys me now, just knowing that he wasn't that famous, Mm-hmm. It's such an audaciously uh, courageous thing to do when you're not a star yet and you're basically just been a child star and to throw yourself into such a despicable, disgusting character like this and give it your all. I still, as much as I've been annoyed by his very look at me overacting over the past few years, I still think this is an incredible performance from him. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in terms of favorite scenes, uh, there's so many but i will say because we've been talking a lot about the fact that you know bateman is is an awful awful misogynist two scenes that i think are very funny and that i love that guinevere turner and mary heron wrote is the two female characters who are also suffering from the same sort of narcissistic tendencies as the men Mm -hmm. like i think guinevere turner i didn't know who guinevere turner was when i first watched it i didn't know that she was very much you know, an out, uh, a very outspoken queer artist um, who, you know, cr- helped create the L word and was the love interest in the watermelon woman. And didn't she create, help create the L word? Am I wrong? No, about that? Oh, no, no, I wasn't, I wasn't questioning that. I was like, that's, that's interesting. Um, yeah. Um, it, that's cool. And, and she wrote, I haven't seen this movie and it's been on my list for years, but she also wrote and produced and starred in a film called Go Fish, which is apparently a very great queer um uh, a, a great queer film so to see her now in this scene where she's playing someone who's just as self-centered and just as in her mindset as the other characters proves to me that she has a great sense of, sense of humor about herself that scene where it cuts to patrick just clearly drugging the wine and she's just mm-hmm. yapping 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 and not paying attention to what's clearly going on and chrissy is clearly paying attention to what's going mm-hmm. on because she's not drinking it but she's just yapping, yapping, yapping. And then she's like, I'm going to call my Coke dealer. And Patrick's like, no, please don't bother him. It's like three in the morning. And the main reason being, I'm going to fucking kill you. Please don't make contact with the outside world. And mm-hmm. she's like, oh, come on. It's 3 a.m. Those are his peak hours. And she takes a sip of wine and goes, this tastes weird. Hi, I was wondering if you have any Coke. Like, I just thought that was so funny. And, um, and also, the Reese Witherspoon being just as self-absorbed and completely oblivious to the outside world the scene where he breaks up with her i found to be so funny where he's literally drawing the chainsaw murder and crayon she's not paying attention to it at all and he's just like i think we should call off the engagement and she's like but my friends are your friends and your friends are my friends i just don't see it happening and he's like i, I know that my friends are your friends you can you have can have them, them. <laughs> and she's like oh my god you're serious yeah what about our past? Never really had one, <laughs> which we never see anyway. And then he just goes, look, I'm sorry, but you're not terribly important to me. And she just starts crying. <laughs> like, like I, it's so mean, but it is so funny because she's just, you, she's a horrible person too. She doesn't kill people like he does, and, but it's, it, she's very much in her own rich white person mindset that I found to be very effective where I found that stuff to be I'm 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 glad that Mary Heron and Guinevere Turner wrote a couple of female characters that are just as much suffering from this form of uh, just narcissism as the male characters in order to make it a more believable satire. Because I do think <laughs> the scene with Chloe uh, Chloe Sevigny is so heartbreaking in that she's the only person who actually asks how he's doing and cares mm-hmm. about other people. And um, obviously, the stuff with Chrissy is the toughest to watch because she's so smart and is treated so horribly by Patrick as a sex worker for, you know, and the scene with the homeless person preceding that true, you know, provides just how he feels about people who are lower, lower than him in terms of class and stature and stuff like that. And women as objects. So I, I did, though, that was the stuff that kind of, uh, heightened everything for me this time around, if that makes any sense. Totally. Um, yeah, the breakup scene, actually, that might be one of my favorite scenes in the movie because it is just like so funny. One, how he talks about it, like he is a business deal. Uh, it's a business deal where he's like, I've assessed the situation and I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah, I've assessed the situation. <laughs> and, and, and also like where it's like him having to deal with 
a human emotion like her being upset is like that's like one of that's like something that scares him where he's like i, I can't deal with this i'm gonna just leave the situation you can't do anything about it because he's like in a public place or anything but it's mm-hmm. like, uh-huh. so i do i do love the line of i need to uh, engage in homicide on a massive scale and she just doesn't hear him <laughs> yeah i mean that's what's fascinating too is like watching how like it's like simple shot reverse shot but like how like all a lot of conversations are decentered and everything where like they're not like it'll be like they will be on like the left side of a frame and like to, if he's like talking to someone like willem defoe they'll be like not even in the same shot with him but also like kind of like off to the right and everything where it doesn't uh-huh. look like it. it's like it's like sh- sh- showing it's uh, so off kilter and anything where it's like people are talking to each other they're not hearing what they're saying though like they're all just like caught up no. in their own shit i mean that's like with the murders and acquisitions murders and executions thing it's just like they, it, it doesn't matter everything they're saying is arbitrary because uh-huh. no making any connections mm-hmm. here yeah. I do. I do like his line reading of "I know my behavior could be a bit erratic." Yeah, um, but yeah. Uh, any final thoughts on American Psycho before we wrap up? Uh, well, it's one of those. It's one of those movies that um, can uh, withstand the test of time, really. So it's 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 worth watch now. I'm I'm interested to see what we will think in the, another twenty years. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Almost Major. Please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Please follow the pod on Twitter at Almost Major to keep up to date with what movies we will be covering in the future. Myself, I can be found on Twitter and Letterboxd at Kev Bonesy. Bryden can be found on Twitter at Bryden Doyle and on Letterboxd at J Doyle. Charlie can be found on Twitter and Letterboxd at CTNash91. Once again, thank you for listening.